Given a choice, Nick Del Sando would have been playing his 16th AFL season with North Melbourne this year. Instead, he has moved into the commentary box and it's been a switch that's raised quite a few eyebrows. Del Sando has been both succinct and informative and incisive in his commentary with Fox Footy and SEN. Nice start, young man. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. Nice to be here. Have you enjoyed it? I've loved it. The switch? I have. Yeah. I've actually really, really enjoyed it. As you just mentioned, would have loved to have played on another year and it wasn't to be, but I put a few little things in place and have always enjoyed the media while playing and have been really fortunate to get a role at Fox Footy and SEN and I've loved it. Still involved in the game, still get to talk about it. How would Nick Del Santo, the commentator, describe Nick Del Santo, the footballer? I think I would be frustrated um, <laughs> as a commentator. There's certain players in the league that probably play similar, similar to the way that I did, but there's no doubt I was a frustrating player and one of the frustrations that I had when I was playing was when you're playing well, it looked like it was the easiest thing in the world. Mm. You could do whatever you want, time stood still, all those sort of things, but when you played poorly, it's you didn't care, you didn't try, it wasn't, didn't mean enough to you, but... My opinion is I played roughly similar most games and I prepared similar most games, but if I was watching myself, I'd put myself in that category of very laconic, um, mm. made it look a bit easier than it probably could have been, but frustrating, absolutely. You, you, so I think you were marked hard because of that languid, almost, or that unhurried style of play of yours. Yeah. You always seem to have time, didn't you? Like, like Scotty Pendleby and like your cousin Marcus Bonapelli. Yeah, they both do it a lot better than I did. Um, but that's just the way that I played. It wasn't on purpose. I tried every game. I mean, to say that you didn't try or it didn't mean enough, it was my life. It was everything yep. for me for yep. 15 years. What gets forgotten, I think, is that you played 322 games in 15 seasons. That's an average of 21, better than 21. Mm. That's a record you're entirely totally very proud of. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Looking back on it, it is a lot of footy. Ultimately, I didn't get what I really wanted, being a premiership. But, I mean, you look back and it's been a long time. It's a lot of football, 322 mm. games, but, geez, it went quick. Your mate Nick Rewald says you never missed training, your preparation was always spot on and you were m remarkably resilient. Yeah, and I appreciate that from Nick because, <laughs> in my opinion, he was the best at training, he was the best preparer for any footy game. But I wanted to make sure I never missed a session. I, I learned at an early age that if I felt like I did the whole pre-season and literally not miss a session, that I'd probably get through the footy season... And most times you do. Early in the season, Nick, I shared the commentary box at SEN with you on breakfast one morning. And I must say I was surprised, and I complimented you on it, about how blunt you were about some players that you played with as recently as last year. Yeah. And Andrew Swallow and Todd Goldstein in, in particular. Yeah. I, they they wouldn't have liked what you said. I spoke to them afterwards. Did you? And yeah. I spoke, And I had a great relationship and still do with all the players that I, mm. I think I've played with. Those two in particular, it wasn't a personal attack. I, no. was, I was calling their games and I was noticing things within the game that in some ways was out of their control. And I just noticed that he was playing in positions that I thought weren't his best position. Like so, half forward? Like half yeah. forward and on the wing. And in my opinion, whether it was right or wrong, and it turned out to be justified in some way that he ended up getting dropped a month later, that he was getting squeezed out of the midfield. And that's all I was trying to say. It wasn't personal. Andrew's a ripping fella. And then but I noticed Todd Goldstein's gone to the full forward line and he's an All-Australian ruckman. He's the best ruckman at that football club, he's one of the best in the league. I just couldn't get my head around why he wasn't playing in his best position. But we say, we, the author, says it's not personal. The bloke on the other end of it always thinks it's personal. Yeah, I spoke to them both. And that's, did you ring them or did they ring I you? I called them. And yeah. that's sort of out of courtesy, but also, mm. you know, in some ways as a mate, just saying, how are you travelling? You know, how are you feeling? Are you happy? All those sort of things. So it sort of worked both ways. But in no way was I trying to soften the blow because, as I said, you call what you see. And I did see things within the game that didn't make sense to me and just trying to clarify it. What did you say when you rang them? 
Um, I called them and said, how are you going? And how's footy and all that? And then I said, just to clarify, this, this isn't about me rating you as a player or not. This is what I'm seeing. And for Andrew Swallow's example, why are you playing on the wing? Why are you mm. playing half forward? You know, where's the structure at? And that's more of uh, as a supporter and enjoying the way that they play their footy. The club made... I think, I think it's fair to say that it was a clumsy decision on the futures of Brent Harvey, Michael Frito, yourself. Was there a fourth Drew, one? Drew and Petrie. Drew Petrie. Yep. Yeah. You were in, in, embroiled in that. Uh, and were you angry or disappointed? Um, I was initially um, probably disappointed, as in I felt physically and mentally like I could still contribute. I felt like I'd played OK football last, last year, enough to probably warrant another year of footy. But at the time, I sort of accepted it. I didn't turn my toes up. We still had another game to play or two games to play. We ended up losing the first final at Adelaide. Mm -hmm. But I, I quickly accepted that this is football. I've seen so many players come and go. I was fortunate enough to play 15-odd years. It has to end at some stage. And if it wasn't last year, it might have been the end of this year. So it is what it is. And I never wanted to walk away from St Kilda or North Melbourne feeling angry at the football club or that I never wanted to go back there. And in some ways, when I sat down with Brad Scott and I respected him coming over to my house on a Tuesday afternoon... And telling me the news, even though I didn't want him to come over because no, I knew what he was about yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I did understand where they were heading as a footy club and I do accept that you can't play forever. And Brent Harvey's an exception to the rule that he's played for 20-odd seasons. He's 37. But for me and you know the average player, 32, 33 years of age is a good career and I'm happy with that. In retrospect, did the club make the right decision? In regards to us the at four, the timing? As a group. Um, I think the timing will always be an issue. But yeah. Well, was well first of all, on the timing, I didn't have an issue with it. And I can understand externally, as a player, all I ever wanted was honesty. Tell me if I'm playing poor footy, if I'm playing really good football, whether you want me, whether you don't want me, I was happy to find out. And I knew something was bubbling away. When I felt like I was playing OK football and there was no contractual talk and you're hearing mm. whispers and the clubs, we weren't playing great footy. We won the first 10 in a row, whatever it was, and then we started playing really poor footy. Something has to change. And... It often starts from the older guys, and that, that's just footy. And I'd seen enough experiences in my life to say, it's probably me. So I, I didn't agree with it at the time. And even still sitting here, I feel like I could be playing. But on the other hand, they're playing good footy as well. They're yeah, in, going they're... in a different direction. They need to rebuild. They need young kids to get an opportunity to play. So I'm all for that. I, I sit here comfortably eight, nine months later going, good call. You finished seventh in the best and fairest. Yep. And had 29 in that final against Adelaide. So the form line was OK, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the interesting bit and the funny bit when Brad came to my house on that Tuesday is his first question was, how do you feel? And I said, I feel really good. Mentally feel good. Um, physically, I'd come off a decent game against Sydney three or four days earlier. And I thought, I had that split second. I thought, geez, he's come all the way to my house <laughs> to say, Dell, we've got your contract for next week. That's really nice of him. Then he, he basically complimented me. And I've had a great relationship with Brad, so it was, it was perfectly civil and respectful. And he said, you're playing great footy, you just can't do it here next year. We need to have some young kids mm. coming through. And I didn't... I choked up a little bit and I, I didn't cry or anything like that, but we had a chat for about an hour. He sat on the couch at our house and we went through it, where the club's heading, what's needed, these young kids need to come through. And I sort of... When I shut the door, I didn't, I didn't cry or anything like that. I was like, it sort of makes sense to me as well. And unfortunately, it's my turn to step aside because when I was 17 and got to St Kilda... There was other guys that had to step aside for yep. me. And it's just the cycle of footy. But tell us about the wrench. You played. You started as an AFL footballer at 18 years of age. Yeah. You just turned 18. Yeah. You're in your early 30s and it's all over suddenly. Mm. Yeah, it, it does feel sudden. And, geez, it goes quick. I can still remember Stewie Lowe saying to me in my first pre-season, enjoy it, boys, it goes quick. Yeah. 
I was like, whatever, old man. I said, you're, you're 33, you've <laughs> you got cut kids. That out. Well, you, you know, you're 33, you've got kids. I said, we're going to play forever. And then 15 years on, that's me. Two kids, 33, and it's, it's all yeah. over. Were you pushed away by St Kilda? Uh, I, I wasn't pushed, but I, I felt at that time I was in a situation where I didn't have many other options. I was 29, been there since I was 17. I finished uh, year 12 in Bendigo as a 17-year-old. A week later, I was training in Melbourne with Nathan Burke, Robert Harvey, Stewie Lowe, like some of the you know, biggest names of the uh, club's history. Been there for 12 years, and then at that stage, I had a year left on a contract and then felt like things were happening behind the scenes that I was well aware of. And I wasn't smarter than other players, but I, I sort of saw it coming, and I was open with the older guys at, um, at St Kilda. I spoke to Rewalt, Montagna, Hayes, and I said to them during the year, Adam Schneider, I said, I don't think I'm going to be here next year. Mm. I said, they're trying to move me on, if not Morris, so... You that... say they, are we referring specifically to Scott Waters, the coach, or was it a broader push well, than that? to name two names, um, Scott Waters was the senior coach, so he's obviously a big part of it, and Chris Palkin had come in as the list manager, and I was open about it. We, I mean, we had leadership meetings and we spoke to both of them. We said, we feel like we're walking around on eggshells at times here, mm. that the club, we weren't playing good footy again. You know, we're going through a down cycle after having some really successful years of winning games, and we lost two premierships in that period under Rossi Lyon, and then Scotty comes in, which was a tough gig in itself, mm. trying to replace someone that, you know, we'd had some semi-success with. And I just felt like they were trying to find a way to rejuvenate this list, and that meant bringing young kids in. So I was really honest with the players that I was really close with, saying, I don't reckon I'm going to be here. And it wasn't initially by choice, but then ultimately I had to agree to it as well at the end of the year. So Goddard, McAvoy, Del Santo, yep. all very, very highly talented players and contributors, all went in the space of two years? Yeah. Yeah, BJ yeah. first and then yeah. Benny and myself. The so year. that was a bit like what North ultimately did, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. it was just there was a clear change of direction at St Kilda. Yeah, which which is probably needed as well. And I was probably a bit more disappointed with the St Kilda one because I'd been there for so long. My best mates are there and I'm still best mates to this day with that particular playing group. And I've seen Nick Rewald and Joey Montagna still playing and I think that's fantastic, but... I felt at that time, if it wasn't me that it left, it was going to be one of us anyway, if not more of us. How would you be if you crossed paths with Scotty Waters? You know what? I've never bumped into him since, what's that, four or five years yeah. now. I've never bumped into him. I'd say g'day. Mm. I mean, I was polite. He wasn't my favourite coach, but I had four senior coaches in my AFL career. Scotty wasn't my favourite. He was in a tough situation to come in after Rossi because I'm a, a Scotty massive... Scotty as in Scotty Waters. Sorry, Scotty not, Waters. Not Brad sorry, Scott. Sorry, yeah. Scott Waters. Yeah. Um, I'm a massive Ross Lyon fan and will be till the day I die. <laughs> I just... I just believed in everything that he said and, and bought into what he was as a coach. So Scott was in a tough position anyway to come in and try and replace what we'd had in that success. But there's sort of thing, tactically some stuff that happened internally, some stuff that I didn't always agree with as a senior player. But I'd be polite enough to go and say good day. I'd never snub him or, you know, ignore him. Uh, you played finals in seven of eight years under Grant Thomas and Ross Lyon. Yep. And in all three years under Brad Scott at North Melbourne. Yeah. Ten years as a finals player. Yeah. With no granny, with no premiership. Well, we, we, yeah, three grannies. Yeah. yeah. It's the one thing that, obviously, that sits with me about not winning a premiership, which is the hardest part. And the, the playing group that we had at the Saints for that particular of 9, 10, 11, it feels like we have won a premiership in the way that we treat each other and we catch up. You know, we have 20 of us catch up for dinner, you know, regularly. So we still have that feeling of something, mm. but ultimately not what we're meaning to be catching up for. Um, so it, it is tough, but it, I mean, it's nice to play finals. That's what we play for. But I sit here with my career over, not having what I really want. 
Your three grand finals, how did you appraise them? Statistically, they weren't up to your normal standard. Yeah, I, I didn't play great. Um, I started off okay in the 09 granny, just to try and dissect it. Never watched them, never watched any of the grannies. Mm. Um, I've only seen the highlights of the um, Chapman goal in 2009 and the Milne bounce in 2010, but I've never watched any of it in its entirety or even quarters. I, uh, I had a small injury in 2009, started the uh, end of the first quarter, which didn't help. Went into 2010 with a sore hamstring and then I reckon I was about the only person on the field that was sort of semi-happy that there was a draw that we could come back the next week yeah. and, and perform better. And you played well in the replay, didn't you? I was better in the replay, yeah. yeah. And I was. It's funny, going into that replay, and I get asked so many times, how did you feel about the draw? It was confusion about, first of all, what do we do? Do we play extra time? This, you, know, you never try and plan for this sort of scenario. But I actually went into the replay thinking we're more of a chance to beat Collingwood the second time around. We've got a more mature group. We're probably more seasoned to be able to bounce back and do this all again. Just turns out that I was really, really wrong. Mm. They, um, I think what they did to us the second time in the replay, they probably should have done to us in the first. I think that's how much better Collingwood were than us that year. And we had our chance in the first game against Collingwood and just didn't get it done. So many St Kilda supporters feel like the gods are against them. Yeah. Did the playing group have that view? I mean, the, the Milne bounce. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it might have fallen into his arms, might that? Yeah, we never spoke about a curse or anything like that. We actually thought, if anything, was going to be this fairy tale that we we're going to play our whole careers, a little bit like the Shane Crawford scenario. Yep, yep. That, you know, we're going to not necessarily finish our career, but we're going to be one that... I mean, you look at the Western Bulldogs from last year, some of yep. their senior plays, you know, we finally ticked off what we wanted to do because we lost a prelim 04, 05, 08, lost the granny 9, thought, OK, maybe 10, we're just mm. going to sneak one out. 2008, Nick, do you remember mid-season? I think 12 rounds yes. are done. Yes, I do. Your favourite coach, Ross Lyon, decides you can have a spell in the seconds. The only mistake Ross has ever made. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, Ross is going to trump you with that. Yeah. The figures about the wins and, re and losses after that. Yeah, he's good with his stats, Ross. Yeah, he is. You, I think at that stage you were 5-7 after 12 rounds. Yep. You and Milne both get dumped. Yep. Come back a week later. But the run from there for the next two and a half years was extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um... And once again... Well, fourth that year in 08 yeah. and then two grand finals. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, being honest, I was playing crappy footy in 08 and it wasn't on purpose. I just was playing poor footy and we were five and seven at, you know, after 12 rounds and suddenly had to change again. And I'd been a steady player in the team for a period of time and didn't deserve a spot and got dropped. Wasn't happy with it at the time, as I think it was on early 20s, mid-20s, and felt that there was other players that were in a similar boat, but copped my right whack and if there's one thing that I can sort of be proud of is I know where I was at as a player mm. you know I, I claim to be certain things and I've said I'm definitely not these other things and I was playing poor footy there's talk that it's the turning point and I think that's <laughs> you what you're trying to refer to and yeah. I think well not not really I mean I don't some of your teammates think that well it would have been nice if they were the ones that got dropped and then I could <laughs> turn around and say it was a turning point I think it just put us on notice that there were certain things that were tolerated and certain certain things that weren't and it didn't matter who you were what you'd done in the past if you weren't performing at that stage that Rossi and the team didn't support it and didn't support you. And it was integrity of selection. And if anything, at least I was resilient enough. I took my right whack, went back mm -hmm. and played okay in the seconds. Wasn't fantastic. Milne was brilliant then that week he went back. And we came back in and played better footy. And um, if I was honest, I'd say it gave me a little clip to say the coaching staff didn't rate me. My peers didn't rate me. And, you know, to have blokes like Nick Rewalt, who I respected, Lenny Hayes to say, mate, you need to pull your head in here and work did a bit harder. That at that yeah, time? they did, yeah. yeah. And then a lot firmer at the end of that football season, leading mm. into the 2009, about consistency of training standards, all these sort of things that make you a better player. Then I said, OK, if they're prepared to say that to me and put me on the spot and they mean it and they care, then maybe I'm the one that 
isn't pulling their weight. And so how do you so react it. when mates and people you respect, like Revolt and Hayes, yeah. say to you that you need to pull your head in? Well, I, I took it on board. I had to, Mike. I think if I was ignorant enough or naive enough to say, you know what, what would Nick Rewalt know about me and the way I'm train, <laughs> yeah, training? Yeah. So I said, OK, if he's prepared to look me in the eye and had a crack at me, I remember standing, standing up in front of the group, it was the old 360-degree sort of feedback, and they went, they had a crack at me. It was a, good, it was a good crack. They went everything through training standards, performance, contributing, consistency. A couple of coaches jumped in about off-field... Um, education and making, have, so making sure I had a balanced life. Front? Yeah, I was at the, the front. front yeah. The, yeah, yeah. I still remember it. And I remember walking away thinking, wow, that was pretty full on. Yeah. But, but once again saying, if they care that much, and it was about caring, it was about improving. We thought we had a decent team and turns out in 09 and 10 we, we were. We you were responded decent. well. Yeah. That if they cared enough to tell me that, then I have to take it on board. And I think I did. You openly declare your love in a platonic sense yeah. for, for Ross Lyon. Yeah. He polarises people. Mm. There are a lot of people in your corner. I think this is how I view him from the outside, that if he's got people who he believes are delivering for him, yep. he embraces them, yep. cuddles them, but if he doesn't, he, he just, he's prepared to burn them. That's a, probably a good summary. And I was fortunate, and if, if you ask maybe some of the younger players at St Kilda in that period of time when we were going well, they probably aren't a Ross Lyon fan, that they were pushed to the side, that they were used in training sessions as just witches' hats, as, you know, they had to wear mm. the bibs all the time so the senior group could... You know, hone their craft, but fortunately for me, that I was on that other side, that I was part of the playing group that were, you know, digging in and every week. And it used to feel like he'd wind us up, he'd give us the message, and we'd go out and be able to execute. So I'm a massive fan. I can understand in some ways why other people don't like Rossi, but for me, all I can say is what I saw. And I don't know about the administration, I don't know about the coaching staff, but all I know is the way that he treated me and the playing group that I was probably dealing with at that stage. That, we bought in. He was part of the playing group. He'd have beers with us at the right time after a game. He'd nail us in meetings at the right time. He'd have a crack at us in games. But as I said earlier, all you want is honesty. And I felt like I always got that from Ross. I read a story recently about Nick Revolt being in hospital when Ross decided to abandon, well, to leave St Kilda yeah. and go to Frio. And you could tell that Nick was really, A, shocked and B, disappointed. Mm -hmm. How were you when Ross walked away from St Kilda? Both of those. Shocked mm. and disappointed. And in hindsight, we've found out there's more to the story that's, you know, between Ross and St Kilda Footy Club. I didn't see it coming. And our footy season ended, we lost to Sydney in the first final um, in 2011. A few guys were told that their services weren't required straight after that game, which was a little bit awkward at the time. We had beers and a bit of a catch-up, went out for a feed with Rossi a few days later, and it wasn't on the table at all. It wasn't mentioned. There was whispers that he was going to go to Melbourne. Mm. And then that was sort of put to the side that that wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden... Freo's been brought up. So I did not see that coming. I think it happened on a Thursday. I was at Jason Blake's house having some dinner and the word came through and we were shocked. Had no idea. And as I said, I loved him as a coach. Thought we were going to have to dig in as a footy team to rebuild from where we'd come from. But I thought, you know, he was a part of that at that stage. Did you lose any respect for him because he, that he walked out on the contract? No, I didn't. That wasn't my business. And when players come and go from footy clubs, I, I just treat people as a friend, and, and I still message Rossi. I speak to him, you know, semi-regularly. Mm. But it's more as a friend. It's not about betrayal, because people could probably say that I betrayed the Saints. And there's more to the story than walking out, but I treat people with respect and, okay. and as a friend rather than, you know, leaving. You mentioned that there was a, another side to the story about Ross's departure from St Kilda. Yeah. What was that? Well, we went out for a feed with Rossi. He took basically the leadership out for a steak one night, and he sort of just gave us his side of the story, because what we were hearing a lot was that he'd walked out and 
as a friend of Ross's, as someone that we, you know, respected and loved, that there was stuff going on behind the scenes about, you know, opportunity to coach for a period of time, contractual stuff, which was none of our business. But you sort of get a bit of an insight that there's other stuff going on within footy clubs that, as a player that you just don't know anything about. And I've got no angst between St Kilda at all, Saints or Rossi. It's just, it's business and it's just mm. the way that it goes. And Rossi's in another situation at Freo and he's doing a good job at the moment. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Adam Schneider had a nickname for you. Do you know what it was? <laughs> yeah, he's got a few. <laughs> Adam Schneider. What was his favourite for you? Uh, he called me Squeak. That's right, as in Squeaky Clean. Yeah. That is your image, isn't it? You seem to be a Peter Perfect. Is that true? Is it, is it justified? Well, I've had some moments that have... Mm-hmm. gone public over my footy career, but yeah, I'm pretty clean cut. I don't do anything too outrageous. What are the moments? Uh, what about if I asked you about social media, what would you say? Well, I pretty much started sexting <laughs> in uh, 2010 <laughs> when a photo got stolen. A photo of you in your undies, right? Yeah, that's a nice mm-hmm. way to put it, Mike. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we're in... Two photos, you and, and your mate Nick Revolt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Nick's came out first. It was a couple of days before Christmas. It was our last day of pre-season 2010. And a photo of Nick came out in the morning. And then... Well, in, he, naked or in his undies? naked. Mm-hmm. haven't looked at it that closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go back and check the footage. Um, yeah, so Nick's came out first. Then I heard whispers an hour or so later that they had one of me as well. And I was like, don't believe it. Don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, later that day it came out. Which was really disappointing and it was done to death at the time, handled in certain ways that if we had our time again, we would have done differently. But my take on it was, if that's as bad as it gets, like, what more can I do? Like, you are on the end of season trip, were you not? Yeah, from a yeah. year before. Yeah. It was 15 months earlier. We are in Vegas. Any my alcohol? Photo, any, any drink involved? We'd, well, we'd been about, we were about four days in yeah. to a footy trip. After the 09 Grand Final, we went to America and... We were about four days in and we were just back in our hotel room. There was ten of us mucking around and whatever. So say of that what you will. Not the end of the world no, sort of stuff. Not the yeah. end of the world. Yeah. It was in a private environment, whatever. Um, but then the photos were pretty much stolen and then released to the public. Stolen via Sam Gilbert's computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a story within itself and I don't know if that's legal or not, but that never really got clarified. But I've got nothing against Sam Gilbert. That's bad luck, and he's still a really close mate. But in regards to myself and what happened, I was like, I can't do anything about it. What? So you've seen me semi-naked. I mean, most of, I, I thought that the undies may have been around your feet rather than on. Yeah, not my best photo, Mike, let's No, be but honest. I mean, you could be in uh, your speedos at the beach. What's the nah, difference? No, I was in a hotel room. Yeah, I understand. Vegas with yeah. my jocks half down. So. Half down? <laughs> I can't... Yeah, anyway. Not on, half down? Half down. OK. Half down. But... Um, so, so how, tell me how... <laughs> tell me. Why are you getting so detailed on this part? Well, I'm intrigued by it. I yeah. mean, um, how did the photos end up on Sam Gilbert's computer? Honestly, couldn't tell you that part. And who took them off Sam Gilbert's computer? Couldn't tell you who took the photos that night, and that's the honest answer. And when, as I said, when I got told that they had photos, I didn't know which ones they were referring to. And then a girl stole them off Sam Gilbert's... Is that the St Kilda school yeah. girl? Yeah. yeah. Do, stole you know her? Do you know her personally? Never, never met her. And I mean that honestly, never met her in my life. Didn't know who she was. I saw her in passing one day. We were training our first day at Seaford when we went down to Seaford. Our first open training session, there was media everywhere for the launch of the new facility and she was out the front handing pamphlets. And it's the only time I ever saw her. And we were jogging past doing a warm-up lap. Never met her. Couldn't tell you what she's doing right now. Um, so that was an interesting time. Your mate, uh, a friend of everyone, Nick Revolt, yeah. he, 
that seemed to knock him around more than you. Yeah. It seemed to affect him quite significantly. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great. And just to give you a bit of insight, like, it, it got a bit serious at times. We had death threats sent to our house. Really? Yeah. On the basis of what? Exactly. Were on you, the, basi you, on I, the basis of what? But when you get your face on a typed-up letter sent to your home address with your face in the crosshairs of a rifle and then the details of what a rifle can do to you and pick you off from a certain distance, you won't even know about it, you go, OK, this is getting a little bit serious. Um, but talking about crosshairs, were your genitalia exposed or not? Yeah. They were OK. Yeah, so, the, so the undies I've, weren't quite on. I've looked better, Michael. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it wasn't my best angle. <laughs> Four days into a footy trip. But anyway, as my approach was, what can I do about it? I mean, you've seen me semi-naked. Who really cares? You I can agree. say what you want. All I can do and as, a, as a player all you did was you just dealt with what you had to. Nick, a young bloke called Marcus Bonampelli had you as his hero when he was a kid. I mean, A, you were a very good footballer, but B, you were his first cousin. Yeah, poor choice by him, wasn't it? <laughs> Could have had better role models. Well, did you look after him? Did you encourage oh, him? Oh, Mike, I've often joked, if I knew he was going to be this good, I would have given him a lot more time. Um, <laughs> No, the, the true story is I grew up in Bendigo. He's based in Altham, or was when he was younger, and he's about 12 years younger than mm. I am. So it was really difficult. I don't only ever really see him at Christmas um, functions or, you know, family get-togethers, but because he was so much younger, I almost didn't hang out with him a lot. And as Did I you said, see anything in him? I knew he was good at sport. He was yeah. heavily involved in basketball as yep. well as a kid, as a lot of those sort of cousins on that side of the family are. And I knew he was semi-talented, but even in his draft year... I'd often speak to people at St Kilda in the recruiting area and they'd say, you know, your cousin might get drafted, mm. he's OK. And then each week it just felt like they'd come up and say, second round, he's definitely going to get picked up, maybe first, and then, like, he's going top five. Mm. So, you know, he's improving. And then now the, what he's doing at AFL level, you know, to say that he was picked, picked up, I think, pick four to the Bulldogs, yep. that was sort of questionable at the time, really, Marcus Bontempelli. But now he's just ticking boxes and it's like, how did he not go number one? Who's a better player out of Bontempelli and Del Sando? Right now, Marcus. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he's, you'd have to say Marcus. I mean, the way he's, he's only played, was he third or fourth year? I mean, mm. I played for 15, so it's... He's 21. Yeah. You swear he's a lot older by the way yeah. he plays and his maturity and his understanding of the game, his ability to, you know, take this, you know, seize the moment, the big moment, kick goals. He's won a premiership. He's won a best and fairest, yeah. two things that I never did. Yeah. Um, you know, if he continues like this, he could be... One of the best ever. Sort yeah, of thing. I, agree, so I agree. That's how good he is. I'm a massive fan of his. Yeah, so you should be. You might have won two Brownlows, actually, mightn't you? I mean, you were third in the year that Ben Cousins beat Daniel Kerr. Yeah. And you know there are queries about the West Coast at that time. Yeah. Do you feel hard done by that those two beat you? Not one bit. No. That's one thing that doesn't faze me at all. At all. And obviously in recent years we've seen guys get it... Um, retrospectively. Retrospectively. Yeah. And... Mm. I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that. And that's not about those guys. It was probably more recent, but 2005 is a long time ago. And if you're going to take a Brownlow off Ben Cousins, then it goes to Daniel Kerr, and then take it off Daniel Kerr, you're a long way down the list yes, to, to yeah. receive a Brownlow. So I've got no hard feelings about that at all. If okay. I deserved it, I should have won it that year. What about the year you polled 28 votes and it still wasn't enough? That was a stitch-up that year, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do much more. No. Um, Swanee beat you by, what, two? Two or three. Yeah. 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 He deserved it. Absolutely. I've got, once again, no issue with that at all. Um, I remember I got interviewed that night at my table from Bruce McAvaney saying, how do you feel like you're going to come home? I would have been about the halfway mark. And I was tracking OK and I said, no-one's going to beat Dane Swan. I said he was averaging 36-odd possessions for the last 12 weeks of the year and he deserved it. He was the best player by far that year. Mm. So I've got no issue. The funny bit was when Adam Goods 
um, walks past at the end of the night and shakes your hand and actually has a chuckle saying, I've won two Brownlows with low 20s. Yeah. Um, you were stiff, but that's, it is what it is. That, the Brownlows don't really bother me. Superb career, Nick. You've done almost everything you wanted to achieve and I'm really confident you're going to match that in the commentary box. Fox Footy and SEN. Well done. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. This has been a Fox Footy production. Part of the Fox Sports Network.